Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal, and I am a plant nerd. I pay attention to the trees and shrubs and grasses of my neighborhood and our incredible surrounding park system. Over the years, I've learned to ID the common things, but the world is complex, and so, with regularity, I find myself opening up my phone, pulling up iNaturalist, a one-of-a-kind app that helps you identify the living things around you through a combination of community knowledge and machine learning. They've been housed at the California Academy of Sciences, but with the aid of a $10 million grant, they're striking out on their own. We'll survey the past and future of this remarkable Bay Area contribution to our collective understanding of the world. It's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you've ever seen a weird bug or flower or tree and thought to yourself, oh my God, what is that? I have to know. Then this is the show for you. We're going to be talking about iNaturalist, a community for all of us to figure out all this life that surrounds us in the city, in the parks, in the backcountry. While iNaturalist began as a master's project at Berkeley, it's grown into a one-of-a-kind platform that's both contributed to science and to thousands of people's individual lives. The news peg is they just got a $10 million grant and are branching out into their own space. But the real story here is how you can take the elements of current technology, machine learning, social media, and recombine them in a way that totally doesn't suck and, in fact, is a real net positive in the world. We're joined first today by Kenichi Weda, co-director and co-founder of iNaturalist. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. And we're joined by Scott Laurie, another co-director at iNaturalist. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Kenichi, tell me about like getting started on this project and how, how it kind of came into being in its kind of earliest incarnations. Sure. Um, so I moved to the Bay Area from New England in 2003, and I'd always been a huge nature nut. You know, <laughs> loved looking at salamanders and birds and plants and things. And uh, California is a totally different ecosystem to New England, so I, I had to I had to relearn everything that I that I thought I knew. But <laughs> when I moved out here, I realized I didn't because <laughs> everything is so 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 different. Um, but I was doing so as an adult with the help of the internet, which is not how I learned as a kid, right? As a kid, I had field guides and my parents and, and mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, but here I was kind of on my own and uh, I had a different set of tools in front of me. So I had a digital camera and I had early social media and the internet. So that was kind of how I learned nature in California is that I would take pictures of things and I would put it on my blog and get comments from people and Mm -hmm. join local listservs and see where people (laughs) were going to go birding. Um, 
and I'm uh, you were like there should be a platform for this yeah why not why not make something for these kinds of people and I was a web developer so I was like I I could maybe make that kind of platform and then um, like a lot of software engineers I'm very lazy so I didn't do anything about it for a long time and I decided to motivate myself to do it by uh, joining the School of Information's master's program at UC Berkeley in 2007 and uh, that program has a, a practical final project so I decided that I would you know go into debt (laughs) <laughs> go, go back to school, and that would motivate me to make this platform. And indeed, at at, at Cal, I collaborated with Nate Agrin and Jess Klein to make the first version of iNaturalist as our final project. And I continued working on it after that as kind of a hobby project until mm-hmm. I met Scott here. Yeah. Um, and Scott really helped bring the party. You know, he's much better <laughs> at, at recruiting people and selling things than I am. So uh, he really, um, yeah, turns out if you build it, people don't come. So you have yeah. to actually get them to come. <laughs> Scott, like when you joined up, there were like a few hundred users, right? What, what were you doing, though? Well, I met Kenichi in 2010. I was a postdoc researcher at Stanford at the time. And my research was pretty much all focused on like trying to understand these these crazy impacts of climate change that we're all experiencing right now mm-hmm. um, on ecosystems, agriculture. And I was mostly using satellite data, you know, so it's a, a big hmm. data source to use uh-huh. in statistical models. And, you know, you, that's fine for understanding things like crops, like where, where are crops moving and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are asking, what's going to happen to these millions of species that we share this planet with? And, and that's where my passion's always been is with biodiversity. And, um, you know, you can't see individual butterflies or wildflowers from satellites. So... Um, you know, it, it's, I think a lot of people don't realize how little we know about species that we share this planet with. But, you know, in many cases, it's just a handful of museum specimens that were maybe collected 100 years ago. And that's all we're going off of. And that's just not enough data to do any sort of statistical analysis with. So I was sort of slowly becoming obsessed with, you know, what can we do to, to scale the amount of biodiversity data that we need? I mean, we were seeing this a little bit with birds, with the bird watching community, mm. but nothing with plants and animals. Um, so, so my perspective was very different from Kenichi. I was just, you know, thinking, how can we get more people involved in this to help fill these data gaps that we need in order to, in order to understand these climate change impacts? Yeah. So, um, Kenichi, maybe you can describe what iNaturalist is, like kind of how it works, like the, the basics for people who've never, they've never seen the app, they've never been to the website. Um, how does it work? Yeah. So the fundamental experience is basically, you know, you're, on a hike or you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a cool plant that you that draws your eye for some reason. Maybe you like the way it looks. Maybe it you recognize it from the past, but you don't know its name. Um, and if you want to learn more about it, but you don't know anything about it, you can take out your phone and start up the iNaturalist app and take a picture of it. And the iNaturalist app will um, automatically start making recommendations of what uh, you might have taken a picture of based on our machine learning algorithm. And uh, so that's one way that you can learn. It'll give you a menu of options uh, of what it might be. Mm-hmm. If you see something you recognize, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a California poppy. I remember that, mm-hmm. um, that orange flower. Um, but if you still don't know what, what it is, you can share it with the Internet. And then people all around the world can see your picture and where you were, and they can help you out. They can provide identifications um, that sometimes might conflict, but usually probably not. <laughs> They'll probably all be like, oh, yeah, definitely California poppy. You know, it's got that little ring around the base. That's how you tell apart from other poppies. Um, and so over time, you start building this record of, of creatures that you've seen. And the more you do it, the more you kind of recognize them. You know, it's like your neighbors, the people that you see every day. Um, you start to build relationships with other organisms by seeing them again and again, learning their names, um, and just doing this sort of almost devotional activity of, of recording their presences and noticing them. Yeah. 
And and meanwhile, on the other side, like that activity of an individual person is generating both this collective experience that people have, right, as they, they see the organisms around themselves, but it's also generating this uh, science that otherwise wouldn't be possible, right, Scott, because you just like wouldn't have that many observations to be able to do the science with. Yeah, I, I mean, I see it as I naturalist is really a tool that allows two things. And the first is what Kenichi just mentioned. You know, it allows you anywhere in the world to learn more about and appreciate the, the plants and animals that are surrounding you. But it also really allows you to create real scientific data. And that data genuinely is the backbone of the information that we scientists use to understand what's going on with the health of the, of the planet. Yeah. You know, um, you mentioned the machine learning element. Is uh, How does it work differently inside iNaturals than it would if I were just kind of like, you know, using one of the tools that's like built into the iPhone, right? Because you guys have all these sort of verified observations, right? So those become kind of the basis for the machine learning suggestions. Can when you talk about that? Uh, sure. So yeah. um, unlike what your, your phone might automatically tell you, I think we have more data about what species are around. Um, we're not using a pure machine learning approach. We also use our own observational data to like condition those results and suggest things that would be more likely near where you were. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I'm, I mean, for me, the most fundamental thing is that there's this human fallback. If you're not, if you're not satisfied with what the machine tells you, there's an army of people ready to be like, oh, it's the poppy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and what's interesting too, right, is at least as I understand it, there's, and we're going to talk to some leaders today, there's like specialists in particular, you know, families of organisms or, you know, even particular genuses or species, which is so cool. Um, we're talking about iNaturalist, a newly independent platform to share pictures of and learn more about the flora and fauna that surround us. We're joined by Kenichi Weda, co-director of iNaturalist, and Scott Laurie, the other co-director. We want to hear from you. What's the strangest animal or plant you've seen in the wild? And did iNaturalist help you figure out what it was? Maybe you're just a beginning iNaturalist user or, or an advanced user. Let us know. We'd love to hear that experience. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, Threads. We're KQED Forum. Um, Scott, uh, you've got a $10 million grant that recently came in from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. So what's that going to change for you? I mean, $10 million in in the scheme of, you know, a, a big Silicon Valley startup may not be a lot, but in the scheme of iNaturalist, it feels like quite a bit, right? Yeah, but I mean, we have a lot of work to do. I mean, <laughs> I mean our predictions for the century is that we might lose as many of, uh, as a as many as a third of all species. And I mean, that's something I don't want, I don't want that to happen. And it, if we're really going to get serious about some of these ideas about like zero extinction, I mean, we, we, we need a lot more information just about the basic understanding of the natural world. And that means we need to get a lot more people involved, but kind of like you were just mentioning with the um, machine learning. I mean, we all know that as communities get bigger, they get a lot harder. Things get a lot harder to do. I mean, it's really hard to ensure high data quality when you have a lot of people working together. Mm -hmm. It's hard to um, connect the right people together to get you know the right insight into a particular species or a particular problem. Um, it's also hard to surface interesting records. So I mean, I, I think that machine learning is going to be an increasing um, part of what we're doing to help kind of manage this large community that we need in order to generate this data. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'd, I'd personally love to see better tools to help our community who, who just who, the, the, the members of the community who aren't just interested in monitoring a place, but are actually interested in stewarding that place and improving hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, how do we help people target you know, the, which species are invasive species that should be removed? How do, how do we help them attract the rare species that really you know, are important mm-hmm. that are represented in that, in that piece of land they're managing? And, and then how to measure those improvements. I mean, that's something I'd love to see. And I mean, and lastly, you know, we want to build a sustainable nonprofit organization, which is, which is hard. And yeah. we're really grateful to Cal Academy and Nat Geo for helping us get where we are um, to the point where we can independently spin off. We're also so grateful to the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation for supporting INET. And I, I've always wanted to say this on public radio, but the Moore Foundation gift is matching community donations for the rest of the year. <laughs> so we're so grateful. Yeah, right. It's your pledge drive also. It is. Totally, um, it's that always that totally our pledge drive. <laughs> but we're just super grateful to the thousands of small dollar iNaturalist donors who've really made yeah. all this possible. That's awesome. We're talking about iNaturalist, newly independent platform to you know share pictures and, and, and observations of the natural world around us. We've got... Um, some great comments coming in already. Uh, Vishal writes in to say, in late 2021, I started building DSLR camera traps in hopes of photographing mountain lions locally in the Bay Area. At first, I was unable to find an active, safe location to put my camera. I saw an iNaturalist report of a mountain lion sighting at Blue Oak Ranch Reserve, which is a biological field station run by UC Berkeley, and I realized this would be a perfect location for my cameras. I reached out to the reserve director, Zach Harlow, who invited me to set up DSLR camera traps in the reserve with information from my natural I was able to narrow down a few canyons with a lot of mountain lion activity. And finally, after 16 months of trying, I got my dream mountain lion photo. Oh man, that must have been satisfying. We're talking about iNaturalist. We've got the co-directors, Kenichi Ueda and Scott Laurie here with us. And we're going to take your experiences of using iNaturalist or just observing with your own eyes the natural world. The number is 866-733-6786. If you can't get through there, try forum at kqed.org or any of the social things. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about iNaturalist, newly independent platform. Let you kind of understand the biodiversity all around you. We're joined by the co-directors of iNaturalist, Kenichi Weda and Scott Laurie. And I want to bring in our, our first caller here. Let's bring in Kristen in Palo Alto. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us your story. Yeah. Yeah, I, this is a little bit different probably than some people's experiences, but 
iNaturalist actually helped me um, come out of depression. So I've, I've struggled with a chronic health condition, which really cut down on my ability to do strenuous activity. I used to do a lot of hiking mm-hmm. um, and bird watching, and it sometimes even confined me to my home. Mm. And then the pandemic came, then I had two kids back to back. So my world really became quite small and in some ways pretty isolated. But it's not like iNaturalist actually opened up a much bigger world. You know, I was already interested in birds, but it I naturally it just opened so many other doors to like all the all these little things that most people walk by, you know, like lichens and mm. little bugs and it was it really just it, it it became really a meditative activity. You know, it made me feel more connected to the world around me and um in, and also to to people, to fellow nerds who had the same interests and it really expanded, you know, those interests. Is so there a good I'm, lichen community? I'm so grateful. <laughs> Yeah. Kristen, is there a good lichen community on the uh, on the app? I haven't noticed. Well, there is the California Lichen Society. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to attend any of their meetings because I only discovered it during the pandemic. But uh, there are lichen nerds out there, and I'm sure there are people who are far more expert than me. <laughs> Let's bring in another guest. Thank you so much for sharing that experience. And I mean, what a beautiful thing to be able to come out of that with the help of fellow people and the natural world. Um, I'm, I'm glad about that. It makes me happy. Uh, let's bring in Jennifer Reisinger, Professor uh, Emeritus at in the Humanities Department at San Jose State and former president of the Sequoia Audubon Society in San Mateo. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Pleased to be here. Jennifer, I, I think we have to start with lichens, which I hear you quite like. Yes, I am very fond of them, and I credit iNaturalist with even becoming aware of lichens. Uh, It wasn't until I wanted to start noticing all the small things around me that I began to notice the lichens, which are so beautiful and abundant throughout the Bay Area. And I actually am a board member of the California Lichen Society. (laughs) And yes, there are walks uh, to look at lichens, and the Bay Area is a particularly... Uh, rich and varied place to do that. I, um, I'm i going to propose that there's sort of a bird to lichen continuum here. You know, that like <laughs> birds, they move fast. They're very, you know, easy to spot. They're loud. Lichen, quiet, tiny, extremely difficult to tell the difference between them. Um, I love it. Uh, Jennifer, you're such a big fan of iNaturalist that you actually celebrate the anniversary of when you join the platform every year. How do you celebrate and why do you think it became such a big part of your life? Well, the the iNaturalist is celebrated by my gathering as many friends as I can. And we go to a place that I haven't been before. And we just try to get as many observations as we can. On my anniversary, I try to get at least 150, if not 200 observations in a day. And I try not to repeat a species on a particular day. And this way, I'm learning a lot about biodiversity. The reason that iNaturalist has been so important for me is that from the moment I discovered it, which was back in 2012, August 13th, to be exact, (laughs) from on, I have been able to have a repository for my sightings of things other than birds, which was something that I had wanted to do for a long time. I had been a birder since the mid-1980s, but I had noticed other aspects of the environment and didn't really have a place to record that in a permanent fashion. Mm -hmm. But I became aware of what Scott Laurie talked about, which is the fact that I'm helping to document those species and that that documentation 
could be important. The other thing that made iNaturalist so meaningful in my life was that it cre created a very pleasant community where the disagreements mm. were about real things. Um, we weren't debating whether they really existed, as happens in so much political discourse, but instead we were debating what the actual identification could be. Mm. If we had discovered something rare for a particular environment or something new. And these discussions were within the general range of admissible human conduct. <laughs> <laughs> Strange that that's become so rare. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it is fascinating. And, and Kenichi, I'm going to ask you about this too, but I, I just, you know, birding's also competitive, I hear too. And I feel like iNaturalist seems to foster not competitiveness, but um, but cooperation. Is that right? I mean, and Kinchu, would you say that that was a by design? Do you think you just fell into that? Is that just community norms that came to exist? Do people who love the natural world are just better people? Like, what do you think? <laughs> of course, they're better people. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's by design. Hello, hello, Jennifer. Uh, I, I. Uh, I Maybe it's 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 by design in that there's a it's intentionally a platform for all life. You know, it's not focused on one thing. So you're always going to be encountering people with different interests, um, different focuses. Uh, and I think it's also a, it's a little bit humbling if you come to INAD as a really mega birder and you know every birder, and then you suddenly realize there's a much wider world. And it's a bit humbling to be like, I wow, I don't know anything about lichens. I don't know anything about beetles. I literally have to ask, like, is it a beetle? <laughs> you know, um, so I, maybe that that maybe that sort of creates a, a different attitude that people have going into it. But yeah, I mean, kind I, of mutual respect, and, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say that we don't have disagreements and sometimes yeah. unpleasant disagreements on INET. But I would say on the whole, yeah, conversations are really polite and respectful and. People are just really interested in nature, and that's that sort of always comes through. I mean, the New York Times did write like an entire article about <laughs> iNaturalist as a model community for fixing the world. I know, uh, which Pre is pressures on. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Scott. To that point, though, I mean, if you are going to scale up, and you kind of like you know mentioned this at the at the top, if you're going to scale up, it means bringing a lot more people in. Maybe at a certain point, you need to start being intentional about how you transmit those community norms, right? And, and what would that look like? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's the thing that I think keeps me up at night is, is how do we get more people involved, but also keep the character of the, of the site that I think we all love so much that it is such a knowledgeable and respectful and polite place. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I think that I want to grow our naturals as long as it's a force for good for for the world and for biodiversity. And I think that, you know, if, if it stops becoming a force for good, I think we'll definitely try to <laughs> pull back on, on growth. For Sell sure. it to Facebook. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> no. Don't do that. Um, here we go. Uh, Gabriel in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to first say that uh, well, I'm walking my dog right now and I walk around and see interesting plants and go on hikes and see mushrooms and fungi and identify them with uh, seek or iNaturalist, which I understand are the same mm -hmm. kind of back end. And it just gives me so much joy. So thank you for that joy. Um, and your first call is not the only one who uses it to help with their mental health. It helps me tremendously. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to mention that I, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, tried to go buy some Clorox wipes to 
clean our groceries because we thought we had to do that. Home Depot was out of them, but they did just get some tomatoes in. So I said, screw it, I'll get some tomatoes. And I've fallen in love with gardening. Um, and since then, I've been using iNaturalist and Seek to identify the bugs on my on and around of my tomatoes and lettuce and all sorts of other vegetables and fruits I'm growing to see, okay, are these are these friendly bugs right. and insects or are these actually eating my yeah. my food that I'm growing for me, not for them? Um, oh, I think, shoot, Gabriel, I think we lost you. I will say... Definitely one of the most shocking bugs to see on your tomatoes is the uh, the hornworm. Uh, for those who d- don't know, it looks like, you know, they can be like two, three inches long. They've got horns. They look terrifying. And then they turn into a hawk moth, right? Mm-hmm. At the end, after the end of that. So if you ever see that, this is your tip from, uh, from today. Um, Jennifer, I wanted to ask you as a user of iNaturalist, can you talk about some of the friendships and community that you feel like you've kind of built there? You know, it's been very special to make a lot of friends, including um, the, including Scott and Kenichi um, through iNaturalist. And to tie in with what both Scott and Kenichi were saying a moment ago, it's because the community that I've been able to build is one that is always sharing both learning and teaching. Every time I go out with my friends, I'm able to contribute something, some bird knowledge or lichen knowledge that is new to them. And they are able to inform me about something having to do with amphibians or reptiles or plants for which I'm a very slow learner. Um, And I get, I really feel that that is a kind of give and take that goes along with the nerddom that we experience um, together. It's also just a really immersive way to get to know an environment. And in doing that and sharing that with friends, you build up a store of memories with those friends. And that has made it particularly special as well. I also had the opportunity to participate in many bio blitzes and have helped to organize them Wait, tell us, um, tell us I, what that is, Jennifer. A bioblitz. Well, oh, the bioblitz. My shorthand is it's a flash mob for nature. It's a, an event that's called an advance where you get people to come to one particular park and just observe whatever is of interest to them. These are often multi generational events. They're almost always very diverse in terms of the uh, knowledge level as well as as identifying markers of people. <laughs> Um, they're diverse in every regard. And so at the BioBlitz, what you're doing is you're taking a kind of of a portrait in time of a place. And in the same way that Scott was talking about what's going to be the longitudinal use of this data, I'm eager for us to return in BioBlitz sites we already have mm. uh, in future years. And right now you can see on the iNaturalist database you can see a lot of the bioblitzes, everyone forms its own project. And so there are these many snapshots in time uh, that exist. And it's really a great event to introduce new users, but often those of us who are addicted users come back later in the day and, and just keep on iNaturalizing the particular place as much as we can. 
Um, and some fine discoveries have been made this way. A change was made to the uh, Jepson manual on, as a, a subspecies found in San Mateo County. Um, I helped to uncover, quite literally, an isopod that hadn't been seen in San Mateo County for 90 years. What's an isopod? So these bioblitzes <laughs> have a, um, a, they can serve a real function because, again, you're not going to get 40 top flight scientists at one regional park on a given Saturday, but you get 40 intelligent people there. And then that army of observers and, and participants in the iNaturalist app who could come in and identify or verify your sighting. Yeah. Oh man, Jennifer, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your experience. Before we let you go, um, Michael writes in to say, Jennifer taught me about INAT some years ago, and I'm incredibly grateful. <laughs> um, Jennifer Reisinga, uh, Professor Emeritus in the Humanities Department at San Jose State and former president of the Sequoia Audubon Society in San Mateo. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Sure, thank you. Um, want to bring in um, Elizabeth in Oakland. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hey, thanks so much. And um, thanks to Kenichi and Scott for the work they're doing on INAT. I run an organization in the East Bay, Holy H2O. We started out doing water conservation and water reuse, but I was really looking for a way to motivate people to pay attention to water. And when I found iNaturalist, and I'm really glad Jennifer just described bioblitzes and did bioblitzes, I realized that if I could get people to fall in love with the flora and fauna mm. of their watershed, that they would care about water too. And so we now do a bioblitz. Our organization does at least one bioblitz a month somewhere in the East Bay. In wow. fact, we're doing one for EB Mud. Um, we've got two birding bioblitzes coming up this month and next month. But we're always getting people out. And here's what I've got to say. In addition to what people have talked about with building community within INAT, like I'll contact people that know something about something I don't know to learn more or who have already worked in a particular physical area that I don't know on INAP. But the really cool thing for me is watching especially people who have never, ever looked at the natural world before discover something great. Mm. And once they see it, like I remember the first time somebody showed me a small native bee. Mm. They're tiny little black bees, right? I mean, there's yeah. lots of different kinds of this kind. I... I was shocked. And now every time I go to a plant and somebody walks by, I'll say to them, hey, want to see a tiny little native bee? And so, I mean, I, I, I harass everybody that walks by me at any point to come and look at things. Hey, there's a, did you see that hawk up in the tree? Yeah. People never look at me and say, that's a bummer. I wish you had never told me that. <laughs> everybody stops and is like, Wow. And all of this came to me, and I get to present to other people through uh, iNaturalist. I'm I love incredibly it. Grateful yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much. That was Holy H2O. You can check out their bioblitzes. I'm sure you can also find them on, on iNat. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. Um, you know, Kenichi, I wanted to ask you, it's kind of a related question in a sense. One listener writes in to say, love iNat and their mission. So great. Is there a mechanism to protect endangered species from Instagram tourism impacts as seen with the Antelope Valley poppies? And I would just extend that out a little bit. I mean, it's amazing to have people going out into some environment and, you know, surveying the biodiversity. But what if you get too many people 
you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think we're quite at the scale that we can create that kind of crowding effect that in the same way that Instagram can. But uh, that's a real clear tension point for us, you know, that location information for a rare species can be quite sensitive. And a lot of times, you know, a crowd could do serious damage to that kind of a place. But even one person in some cases with um, mm. ill intent uh, oh, could, right. could certainly do a lot of damage. So for a lot of rare species, we actually obscure the coordinates. Uh, we show that we show the location as a randomly chosen nearby place and not the true place. This is when we know a species is rare for some reason. And individuals can do that as well to protect their own privacy if they want to not disclose the location of their own backyard when they're making observations. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of a guard against that kind of threat. So interesting. Uh, another listener um, writes in to say, I took a botany course at uh, the Santa Rosa Junior College before the pandemic that required we record our assignments using the iNaturalist app. During the pandemic, when we were all stuck in our yard, I kept using my iNaturalist app to record all the various bugs and plants living naturally in my Ronert Park backyard. I learned a great deal about my plot of suburban wildlife, and that hobby helped me stay sane during uh, pandemic isolation. Scott, I assume you um, hear a lot about people being surprised by how many living things surround them all the time, not just when they're, you know, out hiking. Yeah, and, and also not just how many species there are, but I think people don't realize how little we know about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that you sort of assume that we kind of know everything, right? And, and then you realize that there's so many species that there's not even, you know, a single photograph of or a single record within the last 50 years. And it's it's amazing how how frequently just very casual excursions in, in urban places will produce really exciting discoveries. That's so cool. We're talking about iNaturalist, newly independent platform to share pictures and make friends with people who care about the flora and fauna that surround us. We're joined by Scott Laurie, co-director of iNaturalist, and Kenichi Weda, also co-director of iNaturalist. Earlier, we were joined by Jennifer Raisenga, a super user of iNat. Um, you can find her there, I'm sure. And we're taking your calls. How have you used iNaturalist? What have your experiences been like? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. If you can't get through there, forum at kqed.org or any of the social things. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the platform iNaturalist, which allows you to make observations of the natural world and share them with other people, get identifications from experts and and all kinds of other stuff. 
Uh, we're joined by Scott Laurie, who's one of the co-directors of iNaturalist, as well as Kenichi Weda, the other co-director. Want to just note, Kenichi is going to do a little Q&A on our forum digital community on the platform Discord. So if you want to get involved with that, either go directly if you're already there or go to kqed.org slash forum and you can get involved. Um, I want to bring in another guest with an amazing iNat story. Um, Prakrit Jain is a student of evolutionary biology at UC Berkeley. Welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Um, so how did you first become interested in you know nature and in documenting different species? Uh, so I've been really interested in nature and wildlife since I was a little kid. My parents used to take me out on hikes and do nature centers and do other activities to sort of uh, foster my interest in, in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grew older, I started attending events such as BioBlitzes. And um, that's one of the, the ways that I sort of got started using iNaturalist. Mm-hmm. I was first introduced to a site by um, by somebody I knew working at a local nature preserve, but... Um, as, as I attended more and more events, it became something that was really commonly used. And that also helped to further increase my interest in various different groups of wildlife. That's interesting. So what are some of your favorite kind of wildlife observation areas? Not not places, but like kind of um, uh, genuses or, or those families. Um, well, my work focuses on scorpions, and that's a group I really enjoy observing. But I also really enjoy looking for reptiles and amphibians um, and other arachnids. And as of recently, I've also started looking at plants a bit more. So um, when you were in high school, you were on INAT and you were scrolling through pictures of scorpions, as I understand it. And what what happened? Yeah, so um, uh, recently, uh, last year, I described uh, two new species of scorpions from California along with... Uh, some friends and, and colleagues from the California Academy of Sciences. And that was something that um, in part was driven by iNaturalist because both of these two species were um, actually first found by a user of iNaturalist who posted a photograph of a scorpion that they were not familiar with. And um, since that's a group that I knew a bit about, I was able to um, to realize that these are in fact new species and uh, go ahead and uh, work on describing them as such. What tipped you off that it was a new species? Um, I think it was uh, in large part just sort of field experience with a lot of scorpions. I'd been working with them for a number of years at this point, and I was pretty familiar with our local fauna. Um, and they have some some subtle characteristics that differentiate them, but in both of these cases, I knew that at that locality, in that sort of habitat, a scorpion that looked like that was definitely not something that was already known. That's so interesting. Your your own internal like machine learning. You're just sort of like, nope, that's not in the database. Um, that's so interesting. And what did you uh, did you end up being able to name them, the scorpions? Yeah, we did name them. Uh, we named them Pyrochnus soda after Soda Lake in the Carrizo Plain, where the first one was found, and Pyrochnus conclusus, uh, named after the highly restricted habitat at Cohen Lake, where the second one was found. Oh man, I also. Um, if you hadn't had iNaturalist, where do you think this outlet would have gone? Like, how do you how do you think you would have explored this um, this kind of realm of, of interest for you? Um, I think that you know, as I was before, I was introduced to iNaturalist. I would have continued um, exploring nature and wildlife and enjoying it uh, quite a bit. But iNaturalist uh, for me was something that helped me both by 
giving me a lot of information about a, a lot of different groups. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that I would have nowhere near as much knowledge about scorpions or other groups <laughs> as, um, as I do now if it wasn't for a naturalist and from the other people I learned from and from all of the observations I was able to see. But one of the other really important things has been connecting with a lot of uh, people on iNaturalist who know so much about so many different fields um, and learning so much from them and getting the opportunity to, to interact with all of them. Yeah. It's, been, uh, it's been another really great benefit of the platform. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kenichi, I mean, one of the things that seems so cool about this and that I feel like the best internet communities kind of do work like this, there's pros and like truly people who know you know, tons of stuff or are credentialed in a, in a particular way. And then there are people who are just like extremely motivated to learn and can kind of earn their way into the, the community of practice, basically, by just like looking at a lot of scorpions, <laughs> you know, that's such a cool part of how iNaturalist works. Yeah. I mean, like noticing itself as a skill, you know, you don't and you don't necessarily need expertise for that. But the ability to notice something different or unusual is super useful to these experts. You know, if you're if you're Prakrit and you're a, a scorpion expert, um, you can help him out by just like looking at a scorpion and taking a picture of it and being like, that scorpion's a little bit weird. Or you're like, you know what? I know I'm in a kind of unusual place that people don't go very much. I don't know what scorpion that is, but I'll post it to the platform and maybe someone will find it interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's avenues of entries entry for all different kinds of people. So cool. Um, let's bring in um, Eric in San Francisco. Welcome, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good, good. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I wanted to say thank you for, uh, for what you guys are doing. I, um, I discovered birding as sort of a meditative practice uh, as part of my PTSD treatment. And it was a, a doctor at the VA here in San Francisco that turned me on to iNaturalist. And I live below Corona Heights, um, and the park up there, it's just been continually amazing to me how many different kinds of things, you know, uh, live there and kind of the effect it's had on my life outside of just this, you know, hobby that I have to pay closer attention to my, you know, immediate surroundings in the natural environment. Eric, um... Is this something that you were interested in before and it just kind of had lain dormant? Or was this just kind of like you got into iNaturalist and the world opened up for you? Yeah, I mean, it was not something I was uh, interested in before. The, the birding thing kind of came on the heels of my resistance to, at the time, what I called um, uh, medication or uh, hippie bullcrap. <laughs> so... So, but then, you know, like when I, when I started, you know, actually paying attention to what was going on, uh, it was a family of Cooper's Hawks that just, I watched from nesting to, uh, when the, you know, the kids left the nest, that was just, I don't know, it just life changing changed the way I even paid attention to things. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Eric, man, thank you so much for that. I, I so appreciate and, and relate with components of that um i mean what a story um uh, yeah um there are some things that listeners want to get uh some answers um from you scott on which are you know what are the downsides as well as upsides of disengaging from you know the academy of sciences and national geographic which are two really credible institutions 
Are you worried that it might make you more vulnerable to right-wing attacks on its, you know, kind of apolitical and neutral presence online or anything like that? That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that one. I mean, I will say that, you know, one of the things that's been so exciting to be involved in iNaturalist is that it's just continually changed and evolved. I mean, as Kenichi said, starting it as a master's project, and then we ran it independently for a couple of years. And it's a different beast at every stage. Um, so we're really excited about this next stage, but it is it is unclear exactly what, um, you know, what kind of organization, what, what changes the organization are going to bring. Um, another question from Bill on Discord. You know, we're said to be living amidst the sixth mass extinction. Does iNaturalist data show this occurring among plant species or, or I'll just extend it to say among other species? Like, can you see environmental change in iNaturalist data? In certain cases, yeah. I mean, it's hard to prove absences. I mean, my, I guess, least favorite local example is the sunflower sea star. Um, it was... It is, in some places of the world still, a really large sea star the size of a sunflower flower. It's very, very big. It's, and one of the big ones, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a beautiful animal. And when I first started tide pooling in the Bay Area in the 2000s, it was a common sight in the tide pools. But after the sea star die-off in the 2010s, they're basically gone here in the Bay Area. And you can see that in the INAT data. You know, there's there used to be regular records of this organism, and now it's just not showing up anymore. It's also fascinating, too, because you're totally right. I just, I, I actually hadn't noticed that they were gone, though, right? Like, I, I remember seeing them when I first came here, and you're totally right. I haven't seen one in yeah, years. If you go years. tide pulling a lot, or if you're monitoring the INET data, you'll just, it's not there anymore. That's interesting. Um, Sandy wants to shout out CalFlora, which is a partner with iNaturalist. CalFlora has a huge interactive database uh, for California plants. I think it can provide more detail than iNaturalist in some ways, and CalFlora is super useful for identifying plants. Use CalFlora's What Grows Here feature to get a local list, which sometimes is easier than trying to key things out, which is sort of like a botanical way of identifying a species. Yeah. Um, do you have other, other partners that do stuff like that too? Um, there's lots of other sites around the internet that do these, these things. I think our biggest partner is probably the Global Biodiversity Information Facility that aggregates records like the ones that INAT creates, that um, also that eBird creates and that museums make available. Uh, and it's like the main depot where scientists would go to get biological occurrence data. Uh, so they're a major partner of ours. Uh, I mentioned eBird, which is basically a similar platform for birding. And almost every birder will be familiar with eBird. Uh, we talk with them all the time. We have a, slurge, share, a shared Slack channel. Um, they're close, close allies. Yeah. Um, just a few other people shouting out the platform. Uh, one listener, Kat, writes in to say, My doctor suggested increased activity, so I took up hiking. To distract myself from how much I dislike exercising, I decided to learn more about what I was seeing around me. INAT was a pocket-sized game changer, allowing me to see everything around me with new eyes. Huge bonuses. I now love hiking. I connected with wonderful people to share and discuss what beautiful species are out there. And researchers have cited a few of my observations. Another listener writes in to say, My husband was stuck at home during the pandemic while I was working in the hospital. He discovered all the flora and creatures that were living near our bubble-sharing our space with us. It opened up an entire community online and living near us that generated an exit from lonesomeness. We love iNaturalist. And another listener tweets, I use iNaturalist all the time on my hikes, much to the dismay of my wife who dislikes my constant stopping <laughs> to find out what I came across. I like how it will hold the photo in the app until I get Wi-Fi back. It's an encyclopedia in my pocket. 
We are talking about iNaturalist. It's a platform for sharing your observations and identifications of the flora and fauna that surround us. We're joined by co-directors of iNaturalist, Kenichi Weda and Scott Laurie, as well as Prakrit Jain, student of evolutionary biology and a major user of the site. He's at UC Berkeley now. Earlier, we were joined by Jennifer Reisinga, uh, who's a was a professor in the humanities department at San Jose State and former president of the Sequoia Audubon Society. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Let's bring in some more folks on the phones who want to talk about INET. Uh, Dan in Santa Rosa, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I love iNaturalist. It has been life-changing for me, and I wanted to share one uh quick project that I was uh, asked to document all the biodiversity on the Sonoma Developmental Center property, a big state property up here in Sonoma County. Hmm. And I thought, how am I going to do that? And my wife actually suggested, well, maybe just go out and take a bunch of iNaturalist observations. And honestly, I was skeptical. I hadn't used iNaturalist much. I didn't know whether anyone was ever going to identify any of the things that I yeah. observed. Um, and I took that first day about 600 observations and I uploaded them. It took me all day to take them and all day to upload them. Literally just any organism about, you came across, you were, you were snapping any it. Any organism I came across, exactly. Birds, lichens, plants, salamanders. I came across a California giant salamander that first day. That was amazing. And I uploaded these and within about half an hour, this person, gray squirrel, had identified all of my plants. <laughs> and this young woman in Greece had identified all of the feathers that I had picked up and taken photos of. And by the next day, this guy working at a museum in Germany had identified all of the beetles that I had yeah. taken pictures of. And when I started thanking them on the site, and asking, like, how can you possibly tell what this is? They actually answered and explained to me, oh, this is how you tell what plant that is. And within a couple of we work weeks, Gray Squirrel and her friends were out in the field there with me, helping to document the biodiversity on this uh, big, almost 1,000-acre property. Wow. Um, and it was, it was just an amazing tool for building community. Yeah. And people describe iNaturalist as social media, and it is, but it's totally unlike any other social media yeah. I've used. It doesn't have the memes, it doesn't have the trolls, it doesn't have all the things that make social media miserable. It's yeah. just a bunch of people who love nature helping each other and helping each other learn, and I've learned so much oh, from... Man. All these people. Dan, thank you so, so much. Very, yeah. Very what a great uh what a great story. I mean, you know, Scott, it sounds to me like I mean, this is like the Dan's story is basically describing the promise of the internet as I once knew it in the nineteen nineties, you know? And here it is. It's it, there's an embodiment of it here. So how do you, I mean, what's the future of this site? I mean, do you just kind of keep it rolling, like in kind of Craigslist form? Do you try and extend? I mean, the the, the difference between this and Craigslist, right, is you feel like you have this greater mission to be able to get as many people as necessary in order to be able to track the world's biodiversity, right? Yeah, I mean, currently we have about 300,000 people um, any month who are out making observations around the world. 
Um, again, that's that's concentrated though in places like North America and Europe. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting is a lot of the places that we really have huge gaps in our knowledge about species are places where um, there's many more species, like tropical areas. There's also maybe not you know, really strong um, bird watching communities or sort of the, the natural history sort of uh, foundations. So, so we not only need to sort of connect naturalists, but we actually have to figure out ways to create naturalists. And it's kind of like you're saying, how do you get someone who's not even interested in, in this? You mentioned the Seek app, which is our attempt to sort of try to broaden people that we could even get involved in this. How do you actually connect to someone who's maybe not even interested in nature at all and get them to pick this up as a hobby? Right. How do you get Eric, you know, to take that first step and start watching the Cooper's Hawks and then kind of have a life-changing experience with them? I mean, how do you, I mean, Seek is, you know, Seek is, for, for those listening, it's sort of like the kind of simpler version of iNaturalist, I right? It's kind of a, like a baby step in. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a baby step necessarily. It's a more gamified, uh, simplified, and a little bit more privacy-focused version of iNet. So it doesn't share any information by default. It's only using the machine learning algorithm to provide identifications. And there's the structure of a Pokemon-like game. It gives you recommendations of the most common things near you to go look for. And, you know, you earn badges and points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I'll fully admit that I, I can be pretty dismissive of that. I'm not a, I'm not a gamer, and I, I dislike all the kind of quantified aspects of, of INET specifically and natural history generally. Um, but I also acknowledge that that really motivates people, and yeah. that can be a great avenue into this practice. Maybe you're into the game, but then you see the Cooper's Hawk and something changes in your life. Yeah. Kimber writes, as a previous early childhood educator and mom of two young kids, I think it's so important and valuable to slow down and take a look at the natural world with your children. It's so magical, let alone all the brain connections. I do this even with infants. This teaches children to observe the world around and builds a deep connection to nature. Because of this show, I just learned of iNaturalist, and I'm so excited to use it with my kids. We have been talking about iNaturalist with its co-directors, Kenichi Ueda and Scott Laurie. We've also been joined by super users, Prakrit Jain and Jennifer Reisenga. Um, we have so enjoyed all of your comments and your calls and your observations about how iNaturalist and the natural world work. Thanks so much. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.